Last Sunday, um, I concluded the sermon series for the summer called The Overcomers. Uh, Next Sunday, I'm going to start a new sermon series uh, from the book, the letter of 2 Timothy uh, called Essentials and talk about the essential things that Paul told Timothy in his last letter and that'll be that'll be through the fall Uh, but this morning I wanted to do something uh, that's quite honestly been building in your pastor's heart for some time now and I want to be very precise with what I say today and so in fact I have provided um, copies of my sermon notes it's going to be that precise this morning they're on the front rails they're in the back Um, and after the service if you would like to get that to say I don't know that I caught all of that uh, you will have a written copy of that Uh, this is what I would call a charge to the American church There's something that I want us to see about the American culture and the church. And I want to start first with the American culture. America was founded not only by Christians, but it was founded on Christian principles. In fact, so much that Christianity was sewn into the very fabric of our nation from the very beginning. And I believe because of that, we have been blessed by God as a nation. In fact, I believe this is the reason for what is called uh, American exceptionalism. I believe in that. I believe God has blessed us in such a great way that we can talk about that. Not that we are exceptional, but the blessing of God is exceptional. Uh, During my lifetime, and I'm just putting that in personal terms, being 58 years of age, our culture in America has changed because we have departed from those Christian roots and principles. So that today... Uh, We have laws to protect protect a mother who wants to kill her unborn child while having other laws that make it illegal to harm a baby sea turtle in its shell. In fact, I I believe the statistics say that there are uh, a million abortions per year in America. Marriage and sexuality have become whatever you want it to be. And gender has become something that is fluid. You see, everything that God has prescribed has been challenged by our culture. And then the year 2020 came. And the crises of this year have accelerated that cultural change. Um, The coronavirus pandemic, in the midst of an election year, 
has exposed deep cracks in our nation's foundation. Um, there is unbelievable political division in our nation. There is underlying racial tension. There is blatant lawlessness. And there is a rise of a humanistic, secular worldview that has started on the east and west coast but is coming to the middle of America. It seems that the most extreme voices are the loudest drowning out any opposing viewpoints. People who hold traditional values are intimidated to be silent or canceled if they speak up. Here is the bottom line. This is my announcement I want to make today. We no longer live in a Christian-friendly culture. We no longer live in a Christian-friendly culture. And I'm sure as I say those things that uh, for many of you, maybe most of you, it strikes a nerve. And maybe it's clearly evident to you. I don't know. But this morning, actually, there is something more significant that we need to see and it is not about the American culture. It is about the American church. You see, our biggest problem is not our American culture. Our biggest problem, I believe, is that the American culture has created a form of cultural Christianity in the American church. Let me say that again. Our biggest problem is that the American culture has created a form of cultural Christianity in the American church. Our faith has become so interwoven with our culture that we have become comfortable in the American way of life. The end result is that our culture influences the church more than the church influences the culture. Two problems with cultural Christianity. The first is that when our culture shifts, so does our faith. In a cultural Christian environment, when the culture shifts, so does our Christianity. I believe that's the first problem. The second problem is that we become, with cultural Christianity, is that we become dependent on our culture to prop up our faith. I know there's a lot here, and that's why I typed out these notes, and you can go back and review this. I don't know that you're going to catch all of this. But I believe the second problem with cultural Christianity is that we become dependent upon our culture to prop up our faith. 
we develop a sense of entitlement within the American church that thinks that the solution to where we are is to recreate a Christian culture. That cannot be our primary goal. Let me say that again. Our primary goal as the American church can't be to recreate a Christian culture in America. No, the real solution is for the church to move back to a biblical Christianity. The real solution is for the church to move back to a biblical Christianity. Our model for biblical Christianity is the early church, particularly as we see it in the book of Acts. Um, I want us to read some of those verses in Acts 1 and 2 this morning. Uh, to anchor the message to this. Our model for biblical Christianity is the early church. And if we pick up the story in Acts 1 verse 12, and most of these verses are going to be on the screen. Uh, Jesus has had a three-year ministry. He has died. He's been raised from the dead. He's appeared to the disciples. After 40 days, He has ascended to the Father. And He said, Terry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power on high. Wait. And so when we pick up the church in Acts 1 verse 12, they're in the upper room. But we're picking up the story at that point. And it says in Acts 1.12, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath, Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. Uh, I want to read verse 15, and it says, In those days Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples, and I wanted you to see this parenthetical statement. Altogether, the number of names was about 120. Now, 10 days later, we pick up in Acts 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost, which I'll be talking about tomorrow in my pastor's devotion, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And, be, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. 
The early church was thrust out of the upper room and into the streets of Jerusalem and they proclaimed the gospel and Peter becomes the spokesman and he preaches that day if we come to the end of chapter 2, verse 40. It says, and with many other words he testified and exhorted them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And I want to read verse 20, 42 and I know it's not going to be on the screen. I didn't include it, but I want to read it. It says, verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. And then just the end of the story, at least for chapter 2, verse 46 and 47. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. The picture of the early churches of the 120 followers of Jesus huddled in the upper room. Do you know why they were huddled in the upper room? <laughs> because everything in society was in opposition to them. The Roman government was against them. The religious powers that be of the Jews was against them. Everyone was against them. But the power of God fell on that 120 people. And the power of the gospel proved to be greater than the oppositional culture that the early church found itself in. And in fact, what we discover from the book of Acts and later in the New Testament is that the early church thrived in a culture opposed to Christianity. The early church thrived in a culture that was opposed to Christianity. They changed the world. Historically and globally, in the past and even today around the world, it is true that where there is persecution, the church grows. And where there is a faith-friendly environment, the church over time is hurt. The good news for us today is that we are presented with a great opportunity as the American church. What is happening to our culture may be the best thing that ever happened to the church in America. But I think there's something that's key for that to happen. Hear me on this one. We must move our focus from recreating a Christian culture outside of the church 
to creating a biblical Christianity within the church. Depends on what our focus is and how we see the changes that are happening around us. We must move our focus from recreating a Christian culture outside of the church to creating a biblical Christianity within the church. Three conclusions, at least in my mind. First, is that this year, with all of the crises, has exposed our Christianity as cultural. Second, cultural Christianity will not sustain us or be sufficient for the days ahead of us. And third, God will use this to purify the church. I want to charge us today with five pillars of biblical Christianity. And I close with this. And I know it's, it's a lot. That's why I printed out my notes. You can read it just the way I delivered it. Pick your copy up today. I'll sign it if you want me to at the end of the service. I charge us as a church in America, Huntington First Baptist Church, with five pillars of biblical Christianity as seen in the early church in the scriptures that we have just read from the Acts 1 and 2. Five pillars that will help us to return, will help us to move from a cultural Christianity to a biblical Christianity. The first that we see in the book of Acts is unified prayer. You can see that in Acts 1.14. They were all together in one accord in prayer. Biblical Christianity, biblical Christianity has a relational connection with Christ. Second pillar is the power of the Spirit in Acts 2, 4. Biblical Christianity is powered by God's power not man's power. Cultural Christianity is empowered by man's power. The third thing I see in the early church, and the third pillar, is a bold witness to Jesus. You can see this in Acts 2 verse 40. Biblical Christianity boldly proclaims Jesus despite its surrounding world view. The early Christians just spilled out in the streets in a culture that everyone opposed them. 
And they boldly proclaimed Jesus. And Jesus changed lives. The fourth pillar that we see in the early church and for biblical Christianity is a grounding in God's Word. That's in Acts 2.42 when it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine. The New Testament is the apostles' doctrine as recorded by the inspired word in the inspired word of God. The fourth pillar is grounding in God's word. Biblical Christianity's belief system is anchored in the scripture, not current philosophy. The fifth pillar of biblical Christianity that I see in the early church is in Acts 2.46 and it is strength in community. The church was together, unified, and there was strength there. Biblical Christianity has a supportive connection of relationships in the body of Christ. The five pillars of biblical Christianity that I charge us with unified prayer, power of the Spirit, bold witness to Jesus, grounding in God's Word, and strength in community. I say this to close. I pray that God would give us eyes to see the days that we are passing through. That He would give us hearts to repent of our cultural Christianity. And He would give us lives to live out a deeper biblical walk with Christ. And that's my prayer. Um, we want to pray for our teachers and our school personnel today. Um, and um, let me say a few things and then I'm going to ask them to come forward so that we can pray for them. Uh, that... Uh, after the morning service, we are going to have a short family conference. But if you need to visit with me, that I'll be available at the front after the service, has, which has become our pattern and since we've reopened. Uh, but visit with you about your relationship to Christ. Uh, Cricket and Byron are also available. I'm available after the service by phone, email, text, whatever you want to do. Our information is out there. You can reach out to us just if you need somebody to pray with you. But if you have a decision to make for Christ, a public decision, join the church, whatever, uh, I'll be at the front to receive you uh, after our short family conference. Um, but at this time, I would like our teachers to come forward and stand, and we're going to pray uh, just to close out uh, our morning service. So if you're teacher, superintendent, school personnel, drive a bus, uh, whatever you do, 
if you'll come on and stand at the front, uh, we know these are unbelievable days. And uh, y'all have to stand and, oh, I, I'd rather y'all stand and look at them, but uh, why don't y'all turn around? It makes me nervous when people are looking at me. I get real self-conscious being in front of people and having to talk. Yeah. Um, but uh, such unbelievable circumstances that we pass through uh, God's in control. Uh, and you know really what I want to do? I also want all of our students. Can our students stand? If you're a student and you're going back to school, would you stand too at this time? We're not going to let you stand at the front. In fact, you're not going to get cookies either, apparently, I don't think. But anyhow, your teachers deserve and personnel deserve the cookies. But, uh, but if you're a student, we're going to ask you to stand and I want to pray for all of us today. So... Uh, if you're God's people, just join me in prayer today. Father, today we, um, we thank you for being sovereign God and being on the throne. And Father, uh, we come to circumstances, particularly in our schools, that Father, we have incredible challenges in front of us. But Father, I pray for each of these. And Father, we pray for all of our, our staff and for our students. And first, we pray for protection, Father. And Father, we, uh, we pray that our our students would be able to get the education, in-person education that they need. Um, but Father, I pray that you would strengthen and, and calm and give a sense of peace, Father, to all of our school employees and that you would uh, direct their minds and Father, they would be the very representative of Christ in a little micro community in their classroom or wherever they find themselves in. And we just pray that you would strengthen them to, to share the hope of Jesus uh, in word and attitude and in all ways, Father, with those that they encounter. And so, Father, we, just, we ask that your hand particularly would be upon us as we enter into uh, this new school year. And we trust it all to you and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.